Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Gift of Grace on the Word 1220. This is Phil Giuliani here again on another awesome Sunday night. This is the Gift of Grace where we read and teach God's Word, and we proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. So I hope you've had an awesome week. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about what's generally called the baptism in the Jordan. And this is where... John the Baptist was preaching. Jesus came to the site and told him that he needed to baptize Jesus. John initially objects, of course, saying you should be baptizing me. But he goes through with it because certain aspects of the law and certain aspects of the traditions of the people need to be fulfilled, need to be completed. So we're talking about that a little bit. And I'm sure that if you have, um, if you've studied the Old Testament, especially if you've studied Torah, you realize that there was a uh, process called the mikvah, which was a cleansing in water that needed to be done in certain situations. We're not going to get into all of that. But the law can the, the law stated that in certain situations that had to do with your body or certain situations that had to do with what you were doing in different phases of your life, you needed to go through a mikvah. And this was a symbolic cleansing away of your sin. You sat in running water and the water ran over you and it symbolically washed away your impurities, and then you got up out of the mikvah, you put your clothes on, and then you went on with your uh, business. And there were certain biological times that this had to be done. But the important thing that we're going to see here, and hopefully we can get it done today, or if not, it might end up in two parts, but it's I think it's important to understand the Old Testament roots of this, one of the times where you would, in fact, go through a mikvah bath is that if there was a change of status in your life. In other words, you're going from one phase of your life to another. You're going from one occupation to another. You're going from one type of work to another when there's a change in the status of your life, you go to the mikvah bath. And we're going to see that this is what happened in this famous scene where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And we know from the scripture, and we're going to see, we're going to read um, Matthew chapter 3 in a second, that has to do with this. But we know that John preached a baptism of repentance and that he preached in the wilderness and he baptized people in the Jordan. Now, this was not Christian baptism as we know it. It was not in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of course. And it wasn't, it was a little bit different than the traditional mikvah, the law that encompassed the the doing of the mikvah. It was kind of a, you want to look at it as a transition between mikvah and Christian baptism. 
from the earliest days of Christianity, it was felt that baptism, which is the cleansing by water, and water is used as the substance for it, but actually, actually is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit washing away your sins and then dwelling in your life. And Christians baptized adults and infants at least until the 1500s. And since then, there's been some differences of opinion and about when someone should be baptized. And we're not going to get into that. But Jesus himself said, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot be saved, basically. And I know some people have said, oh, the water means the water that accompanies childbirth. But personally, I don't think that that's true, taking into account the idea of mikvah and taking into account the uh, baptism of repentance that is talked about with John. So Jesus shows up to be baptized, and, and he says to John, we have to do this so all righteousness is fulfilled. In other words, the the Torah has to be fulfilled. Even some of the traditions that are tied to this mikvah have to be fulfilled, and they are essentially redeemed by what John and Jesus do at this time. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3 and give you a second to flip there or click there because the, this idea of John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, as it's called, is really quite striking because at the time John shows up, there has been 400 years of silence. The last time God spoke through a prophet was Malachi about 400 years earlier. This is commonly called the intertestamental period, or it's sometimes called the period of silence, where God's voice is not heard for 400 years. And we get to this character, John the Baptist, who, of course, is the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who is actually related to Jesus. We know that Mary and Elizabeth are, quote, kinswomen's, kinswomen. <laughs> we don't know exactly what that relationship was. They were some type of cousin. It doesn't tell us how close. Um, some translations say they were cousins. Most say they were kinswomen. But long story short, they were, in fact, related. And so, presumably, Jesus knew John the Baptist while they were growing up. John was a little bit older, about six months older. And so, John is preaching in the wilderness at a time where nothing like this had happened for 400 years. Even, even if you believe that the apocryphal books are scriptural. So if you have a Catholic Bible or an Orthodox Bible, you'll have the seven apocryphal books, which we're not going to get into all that, but are not in the Jewish canon, but are in the Catholic and Orthodox canon, not in the Protestant canon. But even if you, if you accept the apocryphal books as enlightened, as scripture, there is no prophetic writing 
that takes place between the time of Malachi and the time of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, is this kind of transitional figure. I mean, obviously, he's in the New Testament, as we're going to see in a minute. But he's an Old Testament type of figure. He looks like Elijah. He dresses like an Old Testament prophet. He's got wild hair. He's a Nazarite from the book of Numbers. A Nazarite was a a holy man who lived out in the wilderness and prayed and preached and studied. And they would not let a razor touch their hair or their beard and would not eat anything that came from a grape because they didn't want to take a chance that they would eat anything that was even a little slightly fermented. So John fits that description. He's a wild-looking character, and he looks like Elijah. In fact, Jesus even refers to him as an Elijah-like character when he's asked about it, but we're also not going to get into that. So let's get to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel hairs, camel hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then all Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the regions around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Let's stop there for a minute before we get to the fun part about the Pharisees. <laughs> so here is John in the wilderness, and he's preaching a very specific message. He's saying the kingdom is here. And he's also saying what the requirement is to enter the kingdom. And that requirement is repentance. The requirement to get into the kingdom is repentance. Jesus is going to mention this again later in the Gospels, where he's going to say repent and come into the kingdom. Peter on Pentecost morning is going to say, repent and be baptized. So here John says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the one who was coming, the Messiah who, the, the prophecies begin literally in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, and go to this time. And at this point, of course, he has in fact been born and at this time we're talking about is, in fact, 30 years of age. So we have to keep that in mind. He's, oh, Jesus is already 30 years old. John is about six months or so, whatever it is, older. So he's going to say that you have to repent in order to come into the kingdom. And he's giving this message to ordinary people. They're coming from Jerusalem. They're coming from all around the land of Judah. And they're listening to what he has to say. Now, some people went out because they thought he was the Messiah. Why did they think that? Well, 
number one, the prophecy of the scepter being in Judah until Messiah comes, until Shiloh come, was in their minds. The idea of the prophet Isaiah saying there's going to be one coming before him, and it's partially quoted here, and even the book of Malachi, the last prophet, talks about how the Messiah is going to have a messenger before him. So after 400 years of silence, John the Baptist appears on the scene, preaching a baptism of repentance. And this idea that he's crying out his message is very important because the Greek there means he has a very loud, shrill, penetrating voice. In other words, if you were anywhere in the area and John started preaching, if you've been watching The Chosen, and when Philip comes into the group, they ask Philip, what was it like to be with John the baptizer? And he says, really loud. <laughs> it was really loud to be with him because he had a loud, shrill, penetrating voice. And the voice was saying repentance. We don't have that voice in the churches anymore today. The idea of sin and repentance has kind of faded out for a false gospel of being nice and having self-esteem and tolerating everyone and everything. But repentance is the way into the kingdom. And he is giving this message to people who are coming out because they are searching for something. They haven't heard a prophet speak for a long time. Let's go to verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into barns but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Whew. So the common people came to hear the message. You know, the leaders didn't, they looked down on common people, especially had you been from Galilee, the people from Jerusalem would have looked down on you. They uncomplimentarily called them people of the land, these people were always open to hear teaching, and they were open to hear Jesus' teaching, while the religious leaders, who should have known, you know, Paul says in the book of Romans, I can't remember if it's chapter 2 or 3, that if anyone should have known that Jesus was the Messiah, it should have been the religious leaders. Because all they do is study. All they do is read. All they do is debate Torah. All they do is discuss prophets. All they do is discuss the writings. They know exactly 
all the prophetic verses in every major and minor prophet, they know the Torah to the point of debating what every word in it means. And so they should have understood what was going on around them about the messengers coming and repentance and bearing fruit, but they don't. Agricultural people understood this. And one thing you know that I always emphasize is in, in when you have a, subsist, a subsistence culture like this, an agricultural culture like this, you don't plant trees just because they're nice to look at like we do. They would have no need for trees that were just pretty. They wanted trees to produce fruit. They wanted figs. They wanted apples. They wanted oranges. They wanted whatever. And when a tree didn't bear fruit, in their mind, all it, all it was doing was taking nutrients out of the soil, taking nutrients away from productive plants that were around them. And so they would cut them down or wouldn't, they wouldn't even have them in the first place. So here John says, you know, you guys, you religious guys, you know all the stuff. You're dressed really nice. You know all the scriptures. You know exactly what to say to people. You know exactly how to laud your authority over them. And this is why later Jesus will tell his apostles, don't laud your authority over people like the Gentiles do. He could have said, like the Pharisees do. He didn't want them lauding their authority over people. So John is saying to them, basically, and the, and, and the message was not lost on them. He gave them a much longer message. He told the common people, repent, because the kingdom is at hand. He tells these guys, you should know more. You guys know so much. You should be doing, doing a lot more. Why do you have all this information, but you're more resistant? They really, when you think about it, they came there out of curiosity. We better go see what this guy's up to. You know, when you read the Gospels, you see like every time Jesus is talking, every time some of the other disciples or one of the apostles is talking, there always seems to be Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees around. Because that's literally what they did. They were kind of the inquisition of their day. When there was a teacher teaching, they went to hear what was going on. Was it acceptable? Not acceptable. And so they went out to see. You know, we don't get all the details of this, but it says somewhere in there that they went out to see what this guy John was all about. Now, John's father, Zacharias, was a priest, so he was a Levite. It tells us his mother, Elizabeth, was from the daughters of Aaron. So these were important Levitical people here, and they said, they probably said to themselves, we better go out there and see what this crazy Levite is talking about, because he's really, you know, he's, he's from a priestly family. So... They went there out of curiosity and to kind of check out the story, but he confronts them. John confronts them, even though they're more resistant. You know, a lot of people today are like this. 
Well, I know a lot, so who are you to tell me? I'm the clergy, you're the layperson. Who are you to tell me anything? I studied. I went to Bible school. I went to seminary. Who do you think you are? And we have people that are curious to come to church to see what's going on, to know people who are, quote, religious, just out of curiosity, I'd like to see what's going on. But here, what what you have is these people who are the leadership of the religion. It's it's hard to it, it it's hard to compare them. I think the closest comparison I can think of would be if you went to the Vatican and talked to a group of cardinals in a in a meeting. That's doesn't quite cover it, but kind of like a general idea of what these Pharisees would have been. Imagine some wild-looking guy like John the Baptist walking into some meeting of cardinals and saying, listen, you guys, you brood of vipers, that, that would be, that he would be escorted out with no ceremony whatsoever. I mean, this was a, a wild-looking guy taking on the religious leaders of the time saying, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's coming? In other words, you guys are a brood of vipers. What are vipers? are poisonous snakes. You lodge your authority over people. You put burdens on them, as Jesus is going to say in Matthew 23. You don't help them lift the burdens, but you put burdens on them by adding more and more traditions to your law, piling up laws and traditions on people. You don't lift a finger to help them. And then he goes on to say one of the most powerful things in the whole Bible where he says, not only do you not get into the kingdom, but you prevent others from getting in. In the church today, we have leaders who prevent other people from getting into the kingdom because they are not describing what the kingdom is. They are not describing the idea that repentance is the way into the kingdom. So, not only may they not be getting into the kingdom, they may be preventing others from getting into the kingdom. And if they are trying very hard to be more and more like the world, they're getting further and further from the kingdom. So here John calls them a brood of vipers. These are the leaders. There's going to be wrath on you. And you guys talk a good story, but you bear no fruit. You're dressed really nicely. You have all kinds of credentials. You probably have all kinds of letters after your name. I don't know if they did that then or not. But you're not bearing any fruit. If you truly repented, if you were truly in the kingdom, you would be bearing fruit. And that applies to us too. That applies to us too. Bearing fruit. This is what is expected of you. 57 minutes in church on Sunday morning is not bearing fruit. Walking around knowing every verse in the scripture is not bearing fruit. So he says, you've got to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And don't think to say to yourself, oh, we're children of Abraham. That was always the defense that they used. They'll use it later with Jesus. We're children of Abraham. Who do you think we are? We're not slaves. We're children of Abraham. And John says, huh, yeah. Well, guess what? 
if God wants to, he can make children to Abraham out of these stones. It's great that you're descended from Abraham. John the Baptist is descended from Abraham, too. And so is Jesus, of course. So don't think because you're biologically Abraham that you're spiritually Abraham. Abraham believed, and it was counted as righteousness. Abraham obeyed, and it was counted as righteousness. You guys do none of that. So don't think that just because your father is Abraham, this is going to save you. And that applies to us. No matter what church you belong to, who you're following, that's not a guarantee. Paul says not everyone who's descended from Abraham is spiritual Israel. Gentiles who are believers in Messiah and follow him and bear fruit are also children of Abraham, spiritual children of Abraham. So he says, since you guys aren't bearing fruit, the axe is already on the tree. Oh, the music's already been playing. Oh, boy, I didn't even get through a fourth of my stuff. Well, anyway, thanks for listening and join us again next week where we'll finish part two here on The Gift of Grace where we read and teach God's Word. We proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. Have an awesome week. Oh,